My name is Johnny Ball, and I'm the founder of Campaign Force, a not-for-profit that inspires, trains, and coaches the armed forces community to stand up and serve again. I've served on the front line of military operations and in civilian life, the front line of UK politics. This Veterans in Politics podcast is a set of interviews brought to you by Campaign Force and sets out to explore how the military community can help make our politics a better place. I lean into my little black book of contacts and sit down with individuals from across the world of politics, sharing secrets, giving tips and advice and inspiring the next generation. We are Campaign Force. This is the Veterans in Politics podcast. Let's introduce you to our guest. This podcast series was recorded over Zoom during the lockdown period. This was part of an exclusive event laid on for veterans and serving personnel. We'd like to thank our guests for allowing us to release part of this conversation for you in podcast format. This episode features veteran in politics Stuart Anderson MP. Growing up in a military family and then joining the army at a young age, Stuart talks about a tragic accident where he got shot, his subsequent physical and mental recovery, and how this has motivated him through life. This podcast episode is high on inspiration value, and we recommend you find his maiden speech on YouTube, where he details this experience. We also reveal how our host, Johnny, first met Stuart in a lift before he became an MP, and where he gave a literal elevator pitch. It's time for you to listen to the conversation. Thank you, uh, Johnny. Thank you for setting this up. Um, we, we're looking to inspire people into Parliament. It's things like this straight after election, not as you're building up to election, that builds a foundation and gets people involved. And I'll talk later on some of the things that where I didn't think it was possible to do what I've done um, just because I'd seen so few people, I didn't know where to look or where to turn. So brilliant, you know, credit to you for setting this up and for getting Johnny on. And uh, I, I'll really spread the word. There's a few others that we, we can get on uh, moving forward. So uh, uh, if I talk broadly about my experience and how I got to where I am, and then when we drill down later, we can start looking at why I did things and that. So straight from school, joined the Green Jackets, um, Two days before my 18th birthday, I was shot in Sennybridge, live fire in section attack. And what basically you now keep your working parts to the rear because of me. Uh, lulling battle, cook off. Uh, my friend shot me in the foot, um, told I'd lose my leg, um, went through a whole traumatic thing of 10 months learning. My leg was saved, learning to walk again, learning to run, and then back to active service. Uh, all through that process, I dealt with physical rehabilitation. Uh, it was 1994 when I got shot. There was very little inside. Uh, uh, well, there was there was absolutely none of how you're doing. It was suck it up or we'll take your leg off. That was the sort of pastoral support I would have had from the army. So really impacted me. I, I had quite major post-traumatic stress, but it was hidden because at the time, if you said you ever had an issue, it just wasn't done. And you know, I, I had a career ahead of me I wanted to go and pursue. So within a year of being shot, I was on my first operation tour in Northern Ireland. Did there, did Bosnia, did Kosovo at the earliest stages. Um, went and did SAS selection and uh, decided it wasn't for me in the jungle. Uh, I was the youngest lance jack in the green jackets uh, at the time. Uh, so I had a promising career, but... Uh, uh, sort of I was 25 when I come out of the army I was 
I didn't feel that it was for me at that time, and I was struggling with a few few other issues. So I went into protection and had a very uh, very promising, very successful career in uh, close protection. I've worked in 50 countries, protected the prime minister for a year. I was on the diplomatic protection team, uh, done a whole host of things, and I formed a business providing uh, security and defence training uh, for, I think it was about six years during the war on terror. I had um, quite a sensitive government contract where we provided uh, five eyes training, what was straight out of Hereford. So I had 27 lads from Hereford came and uh, worked direct for me and we had a government contract to provide that training because manpower is so strapped. All our troops were on uh, operational deployment in Iraq and Afghanistan. So did that. Um, when the war on terror ended, I was given a month's notice to pretty much lose a business, come crashing down. So I went from what was a paper millionaire uh, to having food parcels within a matter of a month. That was quite a humbling experience. Um, and I built everything up. And I and we'll talk about the different ranks. To do what I was doing as what was a lance jack from the green jackets was unusual. I was in an SF community where most of them were uh, W01s or officers. So to to fit in there and build some amazing relationships with uh, with those that still continue, I was able to prove my worth. Uh, it wasn't on about what I had done. It was what I could do. Um, then uh, set up a business providing travel safety. You know, I, I sat down and thought, lost everything. I can moan about it, dust myself off, uh, or crack back on, and that's what I did within a week. Set up a business that has gone on and still being successful now. Although I've stepped out of that business, they're still still running that, providing um, technology to use travel safe to help assess risk for people around the world for a lot of major uh, corporations. So. I did that uh, all from 2016 was when I first joined a political party um, and 2019 I've become an MP. I can drill down to that in a bit, but now I'm in parliament. I'm on the defence select committee uh, in what could be seen as a, a very different career and approach, but actually I'm building on a lot of what I've done many years before, but in a slightly different environment. So that's a whirlwind of where, where, what I've done and where I got to during that time. Uh, and I know John has prepared some nice questions and uh, I'm sure that you'll be firing them over in a bit to drill down into that a bit more uh, as, as we go on. I mean, that's an absolute amazing story and uh, not just inspirational for the armed forces community, but inspirational for um, all of our community across the UK. And I think it's a story we need to tell. Um, and hopefully we'll see unfold in the current term of Parliament. And it's certainly, as I said, something I can really identify with. Um, I also had four operations on my uh, foot and leg, knee, losing it last year in a motorcycle accident. Um, so hearing you speak, it really resonated with me and learning to walk again. Um, and it was just uncanny. Uh, and when you uh, agreed to come on to this show, um, I was just over the moon because uh, your story certainly you. inspired me in the last year. Um, we just, and it's really generous of you to share it with us today. Uh, I guess some of it will come out in that opening gambit. And you know, you, I know you grew up around the SF community because your dad, um, I believe, um, served uh, with the UK Special Forces. Um, but um, why on earth, with all of that and all that adversity and all those challenges, why on earth did you become an MP? What made you in such a short space of time? My, my wife keeps asking me this. Um, <laughs> so I, I never knew anything about politics, I'll be honest. So when I went to Northern Ireland, I never knew any of the political situation. 
you're told, stop those people going down that street. This side wants to uh, shoot you. That side just wants to fight you. Yeah, it, it was, I, I wasn't bothered. I wasn't interested. Um, I tell you, one of the, the biggest things that stuck with me was when I was in Kosovo. It wasn't what you've seen or, or what you've done. Um, but, well, sorry, if I backtrack Bosnia, I remember giving out aid in Bosnia to the headman in the village who had a mansion. And everybody else lived in poverty. And I was like, let's just bypass him and give it to everybody else who's got nothing. He's obviously keeping it. And they went, well, you can't because he'll kill them. And I was like, okay, it was an odd system, but it stuck with me not till many years later. I remember in Kosovo, when we went to Pristina, it was relatively clean. When we left six months later, I went in 99, when we left six months later, it was a, it was a tip because there was no local government. People would throw their rubbish on the street. There was no one to clear it up and pick it up. And I thought, imagine you know, what we take for granted. Um, you, know, you catch someone for murder there, and then you just put them back out in the street. There's no jail system. It, it was quite hard to comprehend. So very respectful for what, what we had here. Uh, I was in Iraq in 2003, 2004, working for the U.S. government then. And... It was quite surprising to look at what had gone on to, to see how a di dictator had run the country. All those sat in the back of my mind. And it was nine years before uh, 2016 when I first thought, could I do that? Would I want to do that? Um, the would I want to do it was no, not really. Could I do it? I still felt no, not really. And it seemed a wild, wild dream that wouldn't go away. And it kept gnawing at me. It took me That's nine years to tell. man to do the job because you didn't want to do it, if I'm, if I'm quite honest. Met plenty I, of I people don't... that have really wanted to do it, um, which is probably yeah. why you're here now. I, it took me nine years to tell my wife. Uh, I then told her, and we, we talked about it for a long time because I didn't even have a social media profile. Nobody knew what I did. Um, and I liked it that way. Uh, and I thought, are we prepared to do this? And mm. we thought, okay. And then I bought a book, Politics for Dummies. And <laughs> I literally typed in a search engine, how to become an MP. I knew nothing about the parties. I'd never, I voted in 2015. I thought, oh, yeah, I might as well. And I voted Conservative just because I was in Hereford. You didn't vote for Labour. There was no one really else running. So I thought, I'll go with that. And I didn't know anything about the parties. But from there, I thought, okay, I've said this, I'm going to push the door. Um, very quickly, I was involved in the association, and I started seeing if you had a bit about you and you was prepared to put the work in, there was places you could go. But it was a very weird setup. I remember I, I went and helped a bloke, Andy Atkinson, who was standing in Wrexham. I stood on a door, and I almost, this was my first week, and I was going to deliver leaflets, and I stood there, I looked at myself, and I was like, I'm that geek who's going to knock on someone's door saying, vote for me, uh, vote for this person. I'd always ridiculed people like that all my life. And there's me stood there. And I thought, I, I almost walked off and said, just forget it there and then. But I did it. And I love speaking to people, actually talking to one, because I didn't know, I didn't have the depth of knowledge. But I started speaking to people. I enjoyed it. I became a councillor in um, Hereford. Uh, it was on the by-election. Uh, and it was the one next to the camp. Um, we played very big. I was an ex-soldier. Hereford really liked that, and I won a seat that had never been won before. There was a veteran who served in the Gulf War, and uh, he had breathing problems. Um, he'd 
he was in a bad way. Top floor flat, should never been there. We got him moved into another area uh, because he just never thought that the system would work for him. I remember him calling me in tears saying, you've, you've done for me what nobody has ever done. The logistics of the process was quite a simple thing to do. But then I realized I could make an impact on people's lives. So I thought, right, I'm going to see if I can go all the way. And then started going in to, to help change people's lives um, and to be, how to say, a genuine person, uh, regardless of, and we talk, probably talk about media and things like how they can portray you. There's some very genuine people in Parliament. And there's some people who are playing the game. Um, I could think of better things to do than play the game. So I want to be in there where if I say something, people go, I might not like it, but I know he's going to do that. Um, you know, not for turning, so to speak. Um, I've got to see how that pans out uh, because there's a lot more factors coming in. But that's really, that's sort of that's the journey. So to cut across, that's quite the apprenticeship on the on the door, knocking on doors of the Hereford. That's certainly not a place to uh, piss off people when knocking on doors. That's all I can say. But you, you clearly have got a um, you love, you're passionate about the bit out there in the community, and you you know done that apprenticeship as I've sort of uh, alluded to. But what about the bit down in London? What's Westminster really like? And what was what was it like on that first day? Is it like you know people have said it's like Hogwarts? Uh, did you sort of wander around scratching your head? You know what do I do? What's it like there? Um, it's not like what everyone thinks. So. I thought I was really clued up because I was listening to this podcast, reading that book, getting there. And then I got there and I went, well, this is very different. So to start with, I've built some very good relationships across all parties. It's not that side versus this side. You see that in the chamber, yeah. Uh, the chamber is a very daunting place uh, and it's very hard because it's like being a, a new rifleman just past the depot speaking against an RSM. Um, there's some seasoned boys there and you've got to, you've got to treat it with respect. It's a very nervous place. Um, all the decisions are made in the tea rooms and the corridors around that, I believe. Um, I, and it, it's quite a well-oiled, uh, machine, how things work. Um, it's a surreal place as well. Um, but what I found there is the two things that stood out to me was influence and access. So I, as an MP, I can pretty much get an appointment with anybody I want. Um, Eddie Hughes, he's uh, actually my whip, said you can have a, a um, get the CEO of Boeing for a meeting if you wanted. So I, I don't want to. He said no, but you could. A week later, I had uh, someone very senior in one of the aerospace love to take you for dinner. I was like, what? Yeah, I, when I was trying to work, I could never get a meeting with any of these people, let alone lower down because they understand uh, the access that you have. The influence, I, you know, I can sit, I could see uh, the Prime Minister every week, I'd see him and I, he's like, how's Wolverhampton? It's good, I've got a bit of a problem with this. Sajid Javid, I, I got on very well with him while he's Chancellor. He'd be in the tea room. Gavin Williamson, I have breakfast with most mornings. It's not just me, it's that group there. And I'd say, I'm looking at this with the school. And so before you would try and access these people or get them on board, you get to speak to them uh, day to day, or at least weekly, you would you'd be a, you'd have access to all these people. And if you use that well, you can make things happen within Wolverhampton. Or like with Rishi, I was mentioned in the budget about the 10 million for veterans' mental health. That yeah. came on the back of my maiden speech and me hammering um, his PPS. I'm like, ah, you've got to do this. You've got to do this. But not in a bad way. 
We build yeah. a relationship and they start to do that. I'm still learning. Um, I've got a lot to learn because it's like running two jobs. So Wolverhampton being a good constituent, cons- constituency MP is key yeah. and being a good parliamentarian is good. So you almost run a, two different jobs and they're quite different from the two. Yeah, absolutely. And having worked with a few of these characters over the years, um, my last MP, Grant Shapps, when I was his agent for a couple of years, two and a half years, um, you know, he never lost that touch of being a really good constituency MP, even when he was chairman and minister and secretary of state. You know, he really, that's his main effort. Um, and you've, you've just mentioned, um, and again, you even get to talk to Campaign Force as well as the CEO of uh, Boeing. And there we go. There we go. <laughs> Interestingly, I pretty much turned most people down. Uh-huh. Um, not, I'm not meaning you get inundated with will you talk to this will you do that uh, and it's about now selecting what I think is worth uh, of my time because you you get 500 to 1,000 emails a day that the team manage 100 of them will be in, invites to different things to come on uh, and you've got to look at where do you use your time because each one of these takes me away from either being a good parliamentarian good constituency MP I don't do any uh, national media. You get asked every week. I will do that later. I need to build a bit of a foundation. You know, they quite easily trip you up. Great approach. And if we can help with that, any of those veterans that contact you that want to look at politics, do send them our way because we certainly we'll do, do other veterans in politics. But you've already touched on it, your maiden speech. And that's where you, I know we met very briefly in a, in a lift. I literally did an elevator pitch to you, I think. Wasn't that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, candidate then. Before you were an MP, so yeah, it's talent spoiled straight away. But um, <laughs> uh, coming to that maiden speech, that's where you really, for me, um, as I said, connected to me, um, having having watched that, uh, re- you know, fairly recently. I mean, what was you? You spoke very openly and from the heart. Um, what was going through your mind in the build up to that uh, maiden speech? You obviously knew what you were going to say, but actually saying it at the time, how did you get through that? Uh, it was a bit of a fight with myself, to be honest, because I wanted to stand up there and say, Wolverhampton's great. Thank you for this. I'm looking forward to going to that restaurant and speaking with these people and I'll be a good MP. That's what I wanted to do, to get up and share that I turned to alcoholism to suffer, suffering with mental health was not something I wanted to do. But I thought I'd been given a platform and I would be short selling myself and pretty much a veteran community if I didn't get out and do it. Now, there's a lot of wisdom that I was learning. As Steve Baker, um, on a chance meeting, he said, someone said, yeah, Stuart's got quite an interesting story. He said, let me have half an hour of your time. Um, I shared a lot of story with him. He said, I came in here to tell you not to sh- share your story because you'll get burnt. Mm-hmm. He said, I've heard it. He said, you need to share it. And I worked with Steve over that week. And what stuff that I was saying, yeah, you know, I, I used to get smashed and they're like, he said, you can't use the word smashed, <laughs> you know. So he then, he said, look, this is a TV studio. Everything you say is on is on camera and it's, it's going to be distorted. So I was like, okay. I was very nervous, but once I got it in my head that I had to deliver this, and if that was my political career over or if I was in the naughty box, whatever it is, so be it. I was going to be authentic. Um, I I was numb for about an hour after, and my wife, she was watching it with her baby at home, and there was a picture of her, like, because she didn't know how much I shared. I, 
when I, I'd written it and I'd rehearsed it, and I struggled to get through it each time because it was very real. Um, and it's the start. There'll be more things that I'll discuss in my life at a later date, but you've got to do it, I think, from a position of strength. And that was enough for people, I think, to believe I've been through it. I'm here to make a difference because you can say words, but over time only history will judge if my actions actually deliver on this. Um, so for me, it was it was one I didn't want to do. I'm glad I did because it put a very clear marker in. Uh, and I saw a difference, actually, which is can be quite shallow, how people greeted me in Parliament and how they said I wasn't just one of the 109 that had just come, or 107 that just come through the door in the party. I was actually, that bloke's got a bit of real experience. Yeah. And we need that in Parliament. No, and I think that authenticity, you know, how you let your guard down um, and, and shared just enough, but as I say, not too much, it re- really came across. Um, you mentioned Steve Baker there, who's obviously ex-REF, um, one of the, he joined recently by Darren Henry, another REF veteran. Um, but are there any people in politics that have served as a bit of a mentor to you? Um, or if not, um, is there someone that's really inspired you and doesn't ha- necessarily have to be a veteran? I liked um, Johnny's approach to politics. He seemed to, uh, from what I saw, he seemed to be very uh, real and firing from the hip, particularly as a a backbencher. Uh, And Johnny, I've spoken at length with Johnny, he's a good friend. Uh, He would tell you a lot of the things he probably did, winding back, he wouldn't do that. One of the um, MPs that, well, Eddie Hughes is my whip, never served He's a man of integrity, and uh, I'm learning and watching from him. Uh, Leo Doherty, uh, from the Whips office as well, former Colonel Scots Guards, a lot of time for him. He's he's a, a straight-talking, no-messing uh, person. Yeah, I, I, I see Leo, I get on well with him. Uh, and he, those those two, I tend to go and, you know, I'm, I'm looking to do this in the chamber, what would it be? And, and Leo was the one. Uh, I said, look, I wanted to do my maiden speech on defence questions. And he said, you can't do it on defence questions. It's a question you've got to do it on a debate. He said, global Britain, the British Army, best exporter we got. Do it then. So I was like, okay. You know, so he he set me up for the win just on that, that bit of info. I, um, I don't suppose I had real mentors within that. If I look through history, Churchill, I think, was amazing. Margaret Thatcher. Um, you, you even look at Labour, Clement Attlee with the NHS. There's, there's a lot of, I, I admire anyone who's stood up and gone and done it. There was one that's quite unusual that inspired me at the time. So Theresa May in 2016, uh, I think she, when she became Prime Minister, stood in front of the Downing Street and said, we will let your talent take you as far as you want it to go. So it was on meritocracy. I wasn't from a privileged background. I didn't um, go to a posh school. I wasn't an officer. That to me said, you as a former Lance Jack from a normal background can go and do this. And that really gave me a push at the the right time. I'm not condoning everything she did as prime minister. Uh, Actually, I was was vocal on some of the things I, I, I really disagreed with. I will say, she has also earned my respect coming back as a backbencher and the 1922 applauded her of how she supported Boris 
in the general election and she's actually it's quite weird walking past her going hi Teresa <laughs> yeah I can't get my head around that bit but she brings a wealth of knowledge and she's put that back in and I've got to respect her for that um, even if I didn't agree with with other things there um, that she did that I think most people say yeah hats off to you and you mentioned that as a as a lance jack um i mean our research and after 2019 we published some research that revealed about 49 members of parliament have a military background so that's about seven percent of parliament so we're really well represented however in that research just a third are from the other ranks um with two-thirds being officers why do you think that is and what can we do to inspire more from other ranks to stand up and serve again Okay, I think the um, we need to cross the chasm. The chasm is too big, too big. From I was a rifleman, private sergeant, whatever it was, it, in whatever regiment, and these people are politicians. The the country sees MPs in a different light to probably how we would see ourselves. Um, they they look oh, it's the privilege, and I, I watched on PMQs. Or one of the questions I went, and this politician came on who I know, and I thought he just sounds like a Tory. Uh, you know, it, it, how he came across didn't, it made it for me, uh, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't go to this, I didn't go to Eton. So, what, what, how can I be an MP? Things like this, we need to bridge that gap. But blokes need to step up um, and ladies need to step up to the plate. Former soldiers need to go, you know what, I'm going to do this. But we can do a lot by bridging that gap and, and getting people to see it is a reality. That it's hard graft. Um, I, I put everything on the line in the final stages to be an MP. You, you end up going down a route and then you're getting to, it's about, I become a candidate. I moved to Wolverhampton with my family, our wife and uh, four kids, or five kids, one's uh, studying, the rest are still at home. We moved schools to a seat held by Labour of which the polls had me as losing. But I was like, I'm going to do it. And come election night, if I'd have lost, I couldn't have done any more. Nobody had shortchanged me. I'd, the hand I had, I played it to the best of my ability. I put a great team around me. Um, and we fought and we went out hard. We did it in a different way. But at the end of it, I'd had to step back from being a CEO of a company and move my wife and kids to an, a, 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 from Hereford. We'd never moved before. I was always unaccompanied in the army. In And we put the kids in the school and I won by 1,600 votes. And I believe a lot of that, the decisions that I made to, to get there, like, oh, you, people said, I'm going to vote for you. You're, you're local. I'd only been there a year. So that had made made a big difference but i had to put everything all in to do it and it stand up at the night if i'd lost i couldn't have done any more there was no one to blame uh, and i wouldn't have regretted it although i was glad i won thanks to our guests and thank you for listening if you've enjoyed this podcast hit subscribe now alternatively you can support our mission by checking out in the show notes below where you can rate donate or become our mate thank you